This is the parable of the persistent widow. Here is the parable. It comes from Luke 18. Now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. I'm going to stop right there for a second because there's something unusual about this parable in the Bible. It's one of the few parables that Jesus comes out in Scripture to explain why he's going to tell the parable. You remember in the first weeks we struggled with why Jesus even spoke in parables. And we had the example of the parable of the sower where the disciples were a little bit distressed about why he was speaking in parables and he met with them and he explained it to them. But the norm is in almost every other parable that he didn't really give the explanation. There's a few where he kind of goes into a little bit. Here he's kind of giving a prologue. He gives an introduction. He says, I'm going to tell you a parable and this is why I'm going to tell it to you. To show you that at all times you ought to pray and not to lose heart. So he's going to tell us a parable right up front as people are listening. He's probably, his main audience might be his disciples. But he might be speaking directly and saying, let me tell you a parable. I want you to pray like this and not to lose heart. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling. But afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will just wear me out. The Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night, And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Kind of an interesting parable. We'll pick it apart in a second, but here's a backdrop. We spent some time talking during our series on the Lord's Prayer and on prayer in general about how we're supposed to pray. The Lord kind of gave us priorities of how we're supposed to pray in the Lord's Prayer. One of the questions we had, though, was what happens when you don't know what the Lord's will is for us? Remember, the Lord's Prayer, we pray like, thy will be done. We're like, what was the Lord's will for my life? And we spent a whole week just discussing what the Lord's will might be for our lives. Okay, this is kind of an offshoot of that. Because there was a small part of that discussion that we had where we asked... Is it really permissible to pray even when we don't know what the answer is going to be or even if we don't know what God is going to do or even if he tells us that he doesn't want to do what we're asking? Just kind of keep that in the back of your mind because look at this parable. Here's what we see in it. First of all, normally Jesus compares himself to somebody in a parable. He's usually the master or the king or somebody. Who is Jesus if he's telling this parable? Who might he be in this parable? Who is he saying he might be? He's kind of making a comparison to the unrighteous judge, which would be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? For Jesus to take the role of somebody who's not so good in the parable, right? I mean, normally, the person in the parable is a person of power, position. Um, You know, they're usually a good person. In this parable, it seems that the person closest to who we might think God might be is the unrighteous judge. Does that bother you? Is that okay? God, God doesn't fear himself, right? And he loves us, but he doesn't respect us. 
does. Okay. I mean, I mean, you can't, I mean, you're not supposed to pull like the direct, right? Right, right. It, it is a parable. Right, but you could say like God doesn't create himself. So if you're going to go off those, like, you know, he doesn't necessarily, like, we, I'm sure we bug the hell out of him constantly. Um, so I'm sure you can make that. Okay, yeah. You say, well, if like a child asks their father for like a stone, the father's not going to give them a stone or a snake or ask them to live a father for bread. You know, like me as God, I'm going to give you so much more. The same idea that he's using with someone, a judge who's not perfect, saying, hey, like the judge would even do this, given the response. I'm perfect, uh, my response would be even better than this. So using it even as an imperfect person will still have the same response he would, given in the same situation. So it's sort of like saying, well, in this small case, it'll happen. So obviously in my case, it'll be even much more. Okay. When someone says, I do not fear God, just, just take that out of its face in the story. Put yourself in the parable land. Somebody says, I do not fear God. Is that person of a low position or a high position? High position. They're a powerful person. Now, first we can tell that by the fact that he's a judge, okay, which gave power in that kind of society. But the fact that he doesn't fear anybody as a judge, either he's arrogant or he's powerful, he's really going to do what he wants to do. So... Cody's onto something when he's talking about God doesn't fear himself in a way. God is really comparing himself with, I'm a judge who doesn't need to answer to anybody, really, is what this judge is kind of saying. I don't fear God or man. I don't need to answer to anybody. Okay. So maybe God is, is giving us that kind of analogy as the Lord speaks this parable. He is also a God who does not need to really fear himself. What he's really saying is, I don't need to answer to anybody. But Jesus still characterizes him as an unrighteous judge, so we should be careful that he doesn't completely identify with the character and say, I'm like that. He's just saying, like the judge who has nobody to answer to, I don't have anybody to answer to. I answer to myself alone. So there's that analogy. Philip, you're also right in, in pointing out the verse you're thinking of says, says who if a man or like who if their son asks for a fish would give him a snake or right? So, yeah, he's kind of putting those, like, right next to each other. In the end, kind of saying, like, you know, if the judge does this, then how much more will your heavenly father, who loves you, do even more? He's kind of putting those two next to each other. So, yeah, I think he's using an intentional thing by saying, if an unrighteous judge will do it, that's why he's using kind of a bad character. Here's an interesting thing about the parable. I mean, before we get into its true meaning... It seems like the widow is bugging the judge, right? So if we are going to sympathize with somebody in the story, who would you sympathize with? Would you sympathize with the judge who's got stuff to do? Or would you sympathize with the widow who's bugging him all the time? Like, who, who do you kind of sympathize with? I'm just kind of curious. You sympathize with the widow? How come? Because she's a widow? It's a good reason. So that's a great thing. I mean, well, okay. I mean, so why would you sympathize with somebody who's a widow? Okay. Well, I mean, everyone's going to die, right? Is that okay? Men die, men die before women. All right. Okay, she's a widow, and she needs protection from her opponent. Okay. So obviously someone's after her. Okay. All right. In the society, the widows were part of that low group, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow. They're all down there, like, needing... 
What about today? Does that change it for you? If, you, if I was telling you the story today, as a lawyer, I'm saying, I know this judge. He doesn't really care about anybody. He's kind of a tough judge. He does what he needs to do. And this woman comes to his courtroom like every day saying, you got to give me justice. you got to give me justice. you got to give me justice. And he's like, just leave me alone, you know? And every day she comes back to the court and says, you got to give me justice against my opponents. I need justice from you. Like, who do we sympathize with today? You guys still sympathize with the widow today? I mean, what's his thinking of why he finally gives her what he wants? What she wants? She's going to drive him crazy. I mean, he's just thinking like, I don't fear anybody. I'll do whatever I want. But because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. I mean, really, that means she's just going to drive me nuts. The funny thing is, every time I read this parable, I was, I was kind of associated with the judge more. I mean, it was just like crazy lady, you know, coming to the judge over and over. Like, I've always focused, like, this should be the, instead of the parable of the persistent widow, it should be the parable of the crazy lady, you know, like in my mind when I read it. Because she's a little nuts, you know, coming every day. I always, you know, I don't know why. I always picture like some shorter woman, you know showing up in some weird accent, just screaming at the judge every day and him just like pulling his hair out like, I can't take this anymore. But that was probably more of an indication of where my heart was as I read this parable. Okay, what's the main point of the parable? When Jesus is saying at the very beginning, he's telling us, this is not a guessing game. Here's a parable so that at all times you ought to pray like this and not lose heart. Is Jesus telling us to bug God like the persistent widow to the point where we get what we want? Is that what he's saying? That's right. I have a hard time. I was thinking about you know, numbers where they're out in the wilderness and God's like, I can't handle your complaining anymore. You know, I'm going to destroy you all. That's different to handle. Because that was more of like, sucks to walk into this position complaining. Yeah, it was like, hey, but, we, don't, we don't do that now. Oh, we do, but it's like, it's... it's well, that might be the place where this thing goes. You guys are starting to hit on something. I mean, you're bringing up them in the desert, the Israelites complaining, okay? You say that's different than this. Why is that different? Because God, God was trying to free them. He was trying to lead them out of Egypt. And, like, they were slaves. So God finally goes, okay, you know what? I'm going to deliver you guys. And you're still complaining after I deliver you guys. So you're saying that wasn't praying, that was complaining? Yeah, I think it was totally complaining. But what if there were complaining because they didn't have anything to eat, let's say. God provided for a man, so they had stuff to eat. They were sick man. So they, they, they had stuff to eat. The only thing they were complaining about that they had probably a valid argument was water. But if you're getting manna every day and the Lord's providing, let's just say that's what it is. What's our modern day equivalent of manna, by the way? Like puffed wheat? <laughs> let's say you're getting puffed wheat every day. It's being delivered to your doorstep like a big bag of it, all right? Like in the plastic, you know, like those big yellow popcorn ones, but like this. Every morning, ding dong, and you get the door and there's like a big thing of puffed wheat. Would it be wrong to complain to God and say like, like how about some chicken? No. But you're saying, but that's kind of what the Israelites were doing in that sense that that Ben's kind of bringing up, I think, if I'm characterizing it correctly, right? Yeah, but when they were complaining in Egypt to free them, God freed them, right? So he answered the prayers. And so he did that. And then 
they were complaining, they were complaining, and God was like, dude, I just answered your prayer, and that was enough. You know, it was like, a, like I'm ungrateful, and you freed me. Well, what's the widow praying for here? Is she praying for food? Is she praying for money? What's she praying for? I mean, what does Jesus say at the end of the parable? Maybe that's a clue for us. He says, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. So hear, you know, hear what he did. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I mean, Jesus is almost explaining the parable for you. Do you see in here anywhere where it says that you get to pray for food? Maybe it's limited in this parable. Maybe the only thing we're allowed to pray for persistently is justice. It's an explanation. What about with David and Saul? Saul, the entire psalm is that saying, God, spite my enemy, save me from this thing. Like, when will you finally save me? And, like, he's praying persistently for justice, as far as I can tell. Right. But, like, doesn't get it for a long time. But does he get it? Well, it says, will he delay long over well, how long is long? How long was David running around in the, in the wilderness? Yeah. I, I think you guys are starting to hit on something. First, I think that you're talking about timing. Okay? All right, which is important. You're talking about praying almost against God's will for a moment and getting him to change his mind. And they're both in here. And the question still is, can we pray beyond the scope of justice? Which I think probably the answer is yes. I don't think he's limiting it. But it is important to me in the parable that the widow is praying for something just to begin with, like protect me from my enemies. She's not making up like, hey, judge, I need a million bucks. Hey, judge, I need a million bucks. Hey, judge, I need a million bucks. She's like, hey, judge, I need, people are after me. I need protection. So there's something there about our needs, justice being one of them. And before I go to your end, justice is very important to the Christians who are reading this. Because as they're reading this, and then this is from Luke, so let's say that Luke is writing 25 years maybe after Christ has been crucified and, and risen. You know, somewhere 20, 25 years later and forward, and Christians are, you know, these words are going to become very important to a bunch of Christians who are running around and hiding or later on who are facing wild animals or whatever's happening to them. Jesus is almost giving them to his followers, to his disciples, a model of like, continue to pray. Okay, That's why it's kind of important when we talk about timing. One of the things I think we do, especially now in our society, is we want things to happen like this. I can think of a lot of prayers that I've prayed, but how many can you think of that you've prayed for for multiple years? And how many years would multiple years really be? I can only probably think of one prayer that I've prayed for about 20 years. And 20 years in God's calculus of prayer is a very short time. But a lot of us are like, but I prayed and I tried. And it's like, did you, I don't know how long this widow was coming, but it's still a parable. I think the only prayer I've prayed for 20 years was that my father would find the Lord. That's the only prayer I think I've prayed for 20 years. And I think now my father's like kind of at the door, you know? But I've been praying that prayer in one way or another or expecting it or asking God or thinking about it for a long time. And I can't even tell you right now as I sit here that that prayer has been answered. But a couple of years ago, I'd given up. I mean, actually more than given up. Like, I just kind of resigned myself. I'll continue to say this, but I expect when I get to heaven, he's not going to be there. 
But in the last year, I've seen a lot of things happening where people have come into his life where he's actually starting to change. Now I'm not so sure. Maybe if I keep bugging the Lord, he might actually give me this. It's not really for me. You know, it's kind of more I'm hoping for him. (laughs) But the reason I bring that up is because there is a timing thing. We know that David spent a lot of time in the wilderness saying, when is this going to end? How many times did Saul say, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I screwed up, I screwed up, I screwed up. Okay, come back, I love you, I love you, I love you. Then he'd throw another spear at him and the whole thing would start all over again. How many times did that happen? But there was something going on in there and David was growing in reliance on God when all this was happening. Do you think it was 20 years? I don't know, we should look. When we do our character study on Saul, we'll... We'll find out how many years he was chasing David. I don't know if it was 20 years. He led Israel through 40 years, 40 years on a stretch of land that you can cross by bus in 13 hours. I mean, that's the biggest miracle in the Bible, you know? I mean, imagine making people walk around like, I don't know, how many miles would that be? I mean, it's like from here to Phoenix for 40 years. I mean, that's, do you think God doesn't do miracles? That's a miracle, that they could even, like, they not even get there. I think if they stretched arm to arm and touched each other, they would have gotten there, you know? Ryan. You think after 20 years, God's got to, like, throw you a bone or something. Otherwise, like, how is it? It's, like, inevitable, like, in his heart, you know? It's, like, you got to see, like, progress. you got to see something. It's, like, okay. it's not the answer. It's, like, I would at least like to see, like, okay, here's, like, an open door, you know, that at least one that I can walk through, and that'll keep me going for another five years, you know? I think you're right about that he's got to throw you a bone. But actually, that goes back to what we were just talking about earlier, which is it does really remind us of that verse where he says that if you ask your father for something here on earth, will he not give you a good thing? And how much better is your father in heaven who's perfect? So if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to you? So I think probably in prayer, in a way, sure, he's going to, as you say, throw you a bone or something. He's saying that directly. I think it depends on what you're praying for because I think the fact that he throws in the word justice and it's about justice doesn't mean it's limited to that, but it also doesn't mean you can be praying persistently for a new car. I don't think that's going to work the same way unless he has it in his will for you to get that new car because we're going to put all the Exodus stuff in it and drive around town, you know? But going back to the other question, I think there's something to what you said about does it not show faith, or are you somehow doing something wrong if you don't pray for 20 years? One of the commentaries I was reading made this analogy. Sometimes instead of praying the way we should, which is to knock on the door and keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking until we get what we want, okay? And I'm going to freeze for a moment there and tell you why I just said that. This parable is very similar to another parable that Jesus spoke where there's a man knocking at the door and the guy inside has already gone to bed. And he says, hey, I need to borrow this. And the guy's like, I'm already gone to bed. But the guy at the door is so persistent that he, the guy finally inside says, all right, whatever. And he gets up and he does what he needs to do. Okay? They're kind of parallel. I only chose one of them because I like this version. It's more clear. And Jesus is telling us why he told it. But you really got to read them together. Okay. So going back to the analogy, some of us knock at the door, knock at the door, knock at the door, knock at the door until we get what we want, a.k.a. this or the other parable about knocking the door. The commentary I was reading said sometimes, or more often is a better way to say it, Christians knock at the door and run like ding-dong ditch. That our prayers are kind of like these, like we just go, I need this thing and we're, just, we're out of there. 
we don't show persistence. Now, you asked specifically about faith. I think it takes faith to continually pray for something for a long time, even when you don't see it happening before you. Because you have to call upon God and his promises and say, I believe that you're good. I believe you're going to do this to you. I believe this parable. I believe this teaching that you want me to keep doing it, even if I don't see anything happening. You know that I'm just supposed to do it no matter what. Yeah, I think it does take that kind of faith. And, I, and we know, aka another talk that we did, that with faith, you can move mountains. And I really believe he meant that almost I believe you meant that literally. If any of us actually had the faith, we would cure blind people, we would walk on water, we would move mountains. We just lack that faith. If you don't have that persistence, I think it's a sign that we don't believe in it. It's like that ding-dong ditch. Like we ask for something and when we see nothing happening in a few seconds, we're out of there. We're on to the next thing. Or we use our own lives to make our own outcome. And then we're like wondering, like, why didn't God come through for me? It's like we never gave him a chance. You know, we never stood there and said, I believe that you will give this to me. Or I believe that this is right for me. And I'll just keep knocking until you let me in. Okay? Yeah. So is what you're saying that basically the idea of praying day and night and like at all times, the reason why God wants you to do that is because that shows faith. And if we're showing faith in our prayer, then he'll say, okay, now I'll answer your prayer. That's part of it. But I think what he's also saying, and, I, and you actually said it earlier, so I'm going to bring it back together. He's saying that if the guy who got bothered just out of a human desire to avoid being bothered did what was right, what about God who doesn't even need a sinful reason not to do something? I mean, he's just going to do the good thing for you anyway. How much more will he bring about justice and even more quickly than the unrighteous judge? Because the Lord is a righteous judge, not an unrighteous one. So I, don't, I think the comment is fair to say that persistent prayer shows faith and faith can only help. But I don't think he's saying that when you just bug me to death, you're showing faith. He's saying that, again, like the analogy, that if a guy who got bugged did it, me who doesn't get bugged, who doesn't need to be unrighteous in any way, who's totally righteous and totally good, if he can do it, I can do it even better and faster, and I will. So it still has that echo in there of that, how much more will your heavenly Father do these things for you? It still has that same echo. But the persistence, I think, is for us. And here's why. If you're a person facing trial, time moves very slowly. And if you're crying out for justice and it's not coming, whether it's this widow or a person facing the lions or a person who's facing, like, financial ruin or a person who's facing, like, all sorts of destruction in their life, death, sickness, all the things that cause us to come into prayer, I think what he's saying to us is in those moments, you're going to want to give up you're going to want to lose faith. Or don't use the word lose faith in the faith context. Use it in the way he says it. Lose heart. Lose stamina. Uh, other translations say become faint. You know, in other words, just to fall away, like just to give up. Say it's not going to happen. What if someone prays they might for justice and they don't get it, they lose it all. And they don't, and they don't God doesn't come Right. And that's the hardest part so we can end with, which that happens. I don't necessarily see a promise here that if you do this, something will happen. It's not a formula because I believe it's more of a command or, an, or, or a, a recommendation somewhere in between those two. 
Yes, it's true that God will give us justice. Yes, it's true that God will answer our prayers, but not necessarily the way that we see it. Not necessarily the way that we want it. Some of us will never see justice in this life. An example that we've talked about before is the one where he says, the meek shall inherit the earth. When's that going to happen? I don't see any day in any Bible, even in Revelation, where then the meek rule over the world. When the meek shall inherit the earth, I really believe is an eternal promise where in the next life, when the kingdom of God is on earth, the meek will rule it. And that is biblical, and that is actually the way it might end up working out. This may be one of those promises where you might not see justice in this life. Um, or justice is done, but you're not around to get it or to actually see it. The Lord also says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So there's a lot of things wrapped up in it. So I think that it's dangerous to look at it and go, okay, if I bug you, then you will do the following. I believe that you can at least get out of this that the Lord wants us to be persistent. Two, that we might change his mind, like we've talked about the king example or something, that we might wrestle with him and get him to say, okay, fine. Or that he might just say, my will is my will and you won't know what it is, but, but continue to pray anyway. Because remember, prayer is a kind of a dialogue with him. You know, even David's prayers were like, what about this and save this and do that? And, and we know the Lord didn't listen to all of David's prayers, but he still prayed them. I mean, he prayed day and night for his son to be healed, but his son died because that was the punishment he was receiving. He begged the Lord to change his mind. The Lord would not do it. But the minute his son died, David got up and said, that's it. I'm done mourning because the Lord has done what the Lord has done. While he was alive, I had a chance to change the Lord's mind. But the Lord's will has been done. I'm, I'm over it. Let's move on. And maybe that's the way he wants us to be, just like David. I mean, David was a man after God's own heart. And he prayed day and night and day and night, even though Nathan told him, the prophecy is your son will die because of what you did with Bathsheba. And he just kept persistently praying, but it didn't work out. David's prayer was heard, but the Lord had already willed. And when it was done, he's like, okay, that's it. Let's move on. And that might be the best posture that we take out of this. You know, is that there's not a promise in here that he will deliver it, at least not in this life. I think the ultimate justice for all of us is that we don't get to pay for our sins. We just go to heaven. That's, I mean, if you want cool justice for us, you know, you're let off the hook. That's pretty cool. Okay, that's the parable on prayer. You want to do another song? You got another song? Yeah. Come on up, man. Do one more. You guys can shake a maraca or two in our participatory worship style. So emergent. <laughs> 